The following audio is from Sand Hills Community Church. More information about Sand Hills Community Church is available at www.sandhillschurch.org. As many of you know, I've been teaching through the book of 2 Corinthians. We've been going chapter and verse. Today we find ourselves in chapter 9. And in chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, you're going to hear about the idea of generosity and what that looks like. Um, Generosity can be hard for for those of us that um, don't have as much as we feel like we wish we had. And uh, frankly, just a lot of us really love our own resources and don't like to share them as much. Um, it, It works like this. Have you ever had somebody come up to you and say, I've got a great business opportunity that I'd like to talk to you about. Anybody ever done that with you? Who, who has sat down at one of those lunches or meals or something like that? Like, that has happened to me several times. Eventually, I got the code words down, so I stopped showing up for him. Um, but I had this guy call me up and, hey, great business opportunity I want to talk to you about. And I was like, oh, I already have a job. And he was like, no, no, you want you, it's something else. And so we go out to lunch together, and he didn't even buy my lunch. How about that? Uh, but in the end, he wanted me to invest in this thing. And it's only going to cost you a little bit, but you'll make all this money. And I was like, by the end of the lunch, you know, I'm just like holding onto my wallet for dear life. Like, you're not getting in here, buddy. Um, or yeah, maybe you've had this where somebody comes up and says, hey, um, I'm part of a nonprofit agency. We're doing great things here in Columbia. I want you to be my special guest at a dinner we're hosting. You know what that means, right? We want you to give significantly to our ministry, you know, kind of whatever it is. So again, you know, you're kind of reaching for your wallet. Uh, or you get a call, you know, hey, this is the IRS, you know, kind of thing. Uh, hey, this is Pastor Jeff, Sand Hills Community Church. You know, so and I, I get it, I get it. And, and so here's the, here's the thing. The, the reason I think that we struggle so much with that is um, material resources are hard to come by. And we have to work really hard for those, and there's a lot of demands already upon us to to spend those. And then even when we satisfy those demands, we want to have enough left over that we can go on vacations, and we can get the car we want, live in the kind of house we want, or whatever it is. So there's all these demands upon our resources, and so we, we want to hold on to those really tightly. And that's how we tend to view it. How does God tend to view it? That's a great question. And so for that, we're going to turn to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we're going to see a call to generosity. Now, the reason you're going to see a call to generosity, it has to do with the history of what's going on in the church at this time. Uh, as many of you know, if you've been tracking with us through the, the 2 Corinthians study, Paul planted the church in Corinth, and he has... Uh, he, he started it, he built it up, and then he went on and traveled. And so the guys that helped him start it, they went off and they've been ministering now in Ephesus. Uh, and so in the meantime, he's been writing letters. Other people have been coming to preach in the church in Corinth. But, but a problem happened. And the problem is they got a bad preacher in there. And the bad preacher started teaching heresy, led the church astray, and they stopped listening to the Apostle Paul. You know, can you imagine a group of people saying, Apostle Paul, we no longer trust your words. Uh, you know, they didn't know, of course, he was going to be writing like half the New Testament. But anyway, so um, they've turned away from him. And, and now, by the time we get to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, that relationship's been kind of fixed. Uh, they're back together. But, but here's the thing. The, the church, particularly in Israel particularly in the region of Judea, and particularly in Jerusalem, was really struggling. Now, they were struggling for a couple of reasons. One was a famine had come upon the land, and there just wasn't enough food to go around. People were struggling, and when food is scarce, your resources are scarce because you're having to pay a lot more for food, and then uh, everybody's broke. Not only that, there was a great persecution that broke out against the earliest followers of Jesus. And if you were a Jewish believer in Jesus during that first century, uh, people began to boycott your businesses, you were ostracized, and then you were struggling anyway. And so the church in the area of Judea, particularly around Jerusalem, was really struggling. 
So Paul had an idea. Paul had planted all these churches in Gentile areas, right, areas where there were non-Jewish people outside of Israel, and he thought, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to rally those churches to give a financial gift, and then I will take that back to Israel, and we'll bring relief to the brothers and sisters that are struggling there. And so that's what he did. He went around, he was rallying the churches, and he had gone to Corinth, and he had said, guys, there's a need. I want you to give to it. And they had pledged, now, they had pledged about a year earlier from this point in the letter, They'd pledged about a year earlier, oh, absolutely, sign us up. We will make a generous gift to help the church. And so then Paul takes off. Well, in the meantime, the relationship kind of fizzled, and now he's showing back up, and he's going to be asking for them to follow up on on what they promised that they would give. So that's the background of what's going on in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. So let's look at, uh, beginning in verse 1, this call to generosity. Paul says, now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. All right, so so let's break this down a little bit. So when he refers to Achaia, he is talking about the region of Greece. That's the historical name of the area of Greece. So he talks about the church in Achaia. And then he refers to Macedonia. Now, Macedonia uh, was a country that was just north of Greece. And they were struggling up there. They didn't have as many resources. Now, the Corinthian church was actually wealthy by comparison. Now, I don't know if they viewed themselves as wealthy, but they were certainly wealthy by comparison. It would be like this. If I were to ask you, do you view yourself as wealthy? Probably most people would say, no, I don't view myself that way. And you're thinking, because you don't drive the super nice car or live in the super big house, you're not famous, you're not not rolling it. Here's the thing. If I took you on a mission trip with us to the Dominican Republic, and you minister down there for a week, week and a half, and then you come back to the U.S., and I ask you, do you view yourself as wealthy? You would say, absolutely, 100%, I am loaded, right? Because you realize now, by comparison, everything's different. So by comparison, the Corinthian church, loaded. Macedonian church, really struggling. And so Paul says, hey, uh, church in Corinth, I want you to know something. I've been bragging about you. I've been talking about how generous you're going to be. I've been up in Macedonia. I've been telling the churches up there, Corinth is putting together a big old offering. Really encourage you guys to give. I want you to get on on board with this. I want you guys to give. So, um, uh, and, and I think in general, we tend to respond to challenges. That's what he's trying to do, stir them up through challenge. So every year, pretty much, we go to the Dominican Republic. And what we do in particular is we distribute water filters. So the, they can't, they don't have clean drinking water in the Dominican Republic, which is weird because they're surrounded by water, right? And, and they've got a bad sewer system and, and plumbing system in their country. Uh, and so we provide for them these water filters. If we don't provide this, most of the people buy water every week, every month. And when we take them these water filters, they don't have to be spending their hard-earned money on clean water anymore. They can now have clean water for years. And the money they would have spent on water, now they can put to taking care of their family and and providing for the needs and sending their kids to school and all this kind of stuff. So we bring a real help. But when we go down, not only do we give them the clean water filter, we present the gospel to every home where we deliver this. And so there's this really neat coupling of uh, the filters that bring the clean water and then Jesus who brings the clean life. You know, (laughs) we kind of combine those together and use that as an illustration. Now, when we stand before the church every year and we say, hey, we're going to be doing this, Uh, filters are about $50, but if you buy one, you'll be given a family clean water for years and you're going to introduce them to the gospel and they're going to get to hear about it and people are going to pray with them. Like that is something this church loves. Uh, We just know that because over the past years when we've done that, you guys have given generously uh, to that project and it's awesome. So imagine now that I'm down in the Dominican Republic and I I tell them, hey, uh, this comes from the U.S. They want to bless you. They love you. That church back in Columbia, Sand Hills Community Church, 
They are a generous church. And we're partnering to help this other thing over here. And we want to challenge you guys to partner with us, to raise your resources in, the, in your church here in the DR. And you're going to help give to this. And then the church back in Columbia, man, they're going to put together a big old offering. They've already said they're going to. And, uh, and we're going to give over there. So the idea is, that's what Paul has done with, with Corinth and Macedonia. He has gone to Macedonia and said, listen, big old offering, going to Jerusalem. I want you guys to, to give generously to this. Now, now he knows Macedonia is not going to be able to raise anywhere near the money that the church in Corinth can, but he's still using that to encourage them to say that, hey, listen, it's not about how much you have, it's just that we want the same level of generosity regardless of where you're at. And so he's challenging them uh, to give to that. And, and I, don't think, I don't think he's trying to be manipulative. You know, like, like when he uses these words, you know, uh, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year and your zeal has stirred up most of them. Like he knows they've had a relational issue, and he probably is suspicious that they're hedging their bet a little bit. They made a pledge a year ago, but things have changed. Things have changed in their relationship. He may be wondering, man, are they still going to follow through on this? But, but he's kind of hoping they will. And he is, he is using their promise kind of back on them to hold them accountable. Uh, but, but we'll see. In fact, he decides what he's going to do is he'll just introduce some accountability. <laughs> he has accountability to their generosity in uh, verse 3. But I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you're not ready, well, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you've promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift and not as an exaction. All right, so here's the small problem. They have made a pledge, but to date... No money has come in, right? So he's up there talking about a pledge they've made, but there's no actual dollars on the table. And, and he says this, like, you know what would be horrible for me is if I go up here and I brag to Macedonia about how you guys are going to give generously, and some of those leaders of the church come back with me, and when they get there, they find out you guys haven't given anything at all, or you've given a lot less than you said you would. Or even more horrible, what if the Macedonian church raised more money than the church in Corinth? Oh, I, you want to talk about embarrassing? That'd be horrible. And so, you know, Paul kind of lays out that picture. And the, the equivalent would work just like the Dominican Republic. If I went down to the DR, I challenged them, Church in America is going to make all this money. And then, and then I bring back some of the leaders from the church in the Dominican Republic with me to Colombia. And when they get here, they were to find out that for some reason, Sandhills didn't follow through on all their pledges, uh, or maybe they're given much less than the church in the Dominican Republic. Is. I like, that would be crushing to them. You know, it could, it could unseat the whole thing, not to mention it's going to make us look bad, look the leadership look bad, all that kind of stuff. And, and Paul's just like, hey, let's not, not have that happen. So, so that that doesn't happen, I'm going to send some brothers on up ahead. All right, so that's, a, that's accountability he's introducing here. Now, I don't know what this, like, I'm not sure if this looks like a couple of men in nice Italian suits showing up, carrying a little violin case, you know. Hey, said you was going to pay up. You know, like, I don't... I don't know exactly how it's going to look, um, but we do know this. The people coming to collect the offering, uh, mentioned just prior to chapter 9, are Titus, uh, who, is, who loves Jesus, is a protege of Paul, um, and then there's another preacher that's going to be coming with him. So there's at least two ministers coming, and they really are going to come and just say, hey, listen, church, uh, people from Macedonia, the apostle Paul himself, they're all coming down. You pledged you were going to give. Let's get this offering together. Let's go ahead and gather together so that when they show up, we've got it, and we can say, the Corinthian church gave this much. And then uh, that'll be a testimony. So that's, that's what he's wanting. And he says, when he says, I don't want it to be an exaction, he don't want it to be a tax. So like when the offering plate comes by, 
Like, how do you feel when you're putting resources in the offering plate? Is it, I mean, is it like, oh, like here it comes again, but I'm sitting by people who think I'm really godly, so I should put something in there? Like, I don't, or, or is it, man, I love the Lord, and I just, I love to be a part of his kingdom, or maybe you're not even conscious of it, but you do it because you know you love the Lord. And this is a, like, I don't know your thinking there, but, but Paul is saying, listen, I want you to have the right perspective when you give. I don't want you to feel like it's being demanded of you and pulled from you. I want it to be something um, that you want to give. I want this to be something that, that you give freely. And so then he pauses in this as he's having this conversation with them, and then he pulls back and he's going, okay, let's just talk about some principles as how God views generosity. And so then we get to verse 6 where he changes a, a little bit here. Principles of generosity, starting in verse 6. The point is this. That whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So you've heard the phrase, you reap what you sow, right? That, it's a farming analogy. Uh, but I don't know, do we need to back up and talk about what sowing is? You're like, I thought it said sow, you know? <laughs> I thought they weren't into pigs, you know? I don't know. So the idea of sowing is, um, you know, you would actually, it's planting the seed, that's what it is. And so uh, imagine a farmer who has tilled his fields and they, they furrowed uh, the rows, and he's going through now, and they're, they probably had a bag where they were scattering it, but, or if they're putting it into particular holes, depending on what they're planting. Um, if they're going through, like, that's how they're scattering the seed. And the idea is the more seed you put out, the greater harvest you're going to have. And so the goal would be to get out as much as possible. As much as I can put out, I want to put out because that'll mean a greater harvest. And so that's the principle. The principle is the more I put out, the more I will get. You know, farmers don't go down putting out seed and going, I'm never going to see that one again. That's a waste. I can't believe I'm doing this. I better just hold on to the bag. That would be better for me rather than putting it out on the, the dirt. Like nobody does, like that doesn't make sense in farming. And so Paul is literally connecting that to our generosity before the Lord. But there are people that give that way. People that are, that are giving, they're like, I'll never see that again. That's a waste. I hope they handle it well. I need to hold on as much as I have. So what Paul is trying to say is, no, no, I want you to have the same mentality. That the more I invest in the kingdom of God, the greater harvest of blessing that comes as a result of it. So the more generous I am, the greater the blessing. And so that, that really affects us then. So like when we look at giving to the Lord's work, is that a cost or is that an investment? See, it has to do with the mentality. I would argue this. You literally get a return on giving to the Lord's work. You do. I, like, I don't even think I'm making that up. I think it comes from Scripture. So years ago, I was uh, studying through the book of Proverbs. Uh, I got to Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Now, I, I don't think I'm reading this incorrectly. It seems to me that the general principle trying to be connected to us, this is honoring the Lord with our wealth and with the first fruits of our produce, then your barns will be, like it seems conditional that, that as I invest, God provides for me. So the idea is that when I'm generous with my resources towards the kingdom of God, God takes care of me, puts food on my table, roof over my head, all these guys, like I have stuff, I, like I give stuff, he gives me stuff, God takes care of me. Okay, so like just by a practical example, I would say the Philpots have experienced that, that, that as, we, as we've invested in the kingdom of God, we have received a practical, tangible return. Would anybody else here say like, oh, we've experienced that in our lives. When we've invested in the kingdom of God, we've gotten a return. Okay, so, but the danger, of course, is somebody who teaches you, the more you give, the more you get. You give a dollar to God, he gives you $10. You give 100 to God, he gives you a new car. You know, like, I, I, like how that, okay, stop. If your motivation in giving to the Lord is so that you'll get back, 
That's not generosity, that's greed. And I, there's no way God honors that. That's a sin. No, the, the idea is this, that when we give generously to the Lord's work, I know I'm going to get a return on that. I, I don't know what it's going to look like. I'm not sure it's dollars. I mean, you know, but, I, but here's the thing. I, I love the Lord. He loves me. He takes care of my family. I get a chance to be a part of his kingdom. I, I do know this, like we can sin in our giving. So if you go back even to the beginning of Genesis, one of the first sins, not the first sin, but one of the earliest sins that you read about in Genesis chapter four has to do with Cain and Abel. So, so Cain is a gardener, right? He takes care of uh, produce. He's got fruit trees, bushes that produce uh, vegetables. So like this, this is kind of what he does. His brother Abel is a herdsman. So he's got animals. So then they both decide they want to give an offering to the Lord. And so Cain gets together some of his produce and he takes it and makes an offering to the Lord. Abel takes from some of the firstborn of his flock and some of the fat portions, and he gives that to the Lord. And it says that when the Lord looked upon their offerings, he looked with favor on the offering of Abel, but not with Cain. And and here's the reason. Cain gave some. Abel gave of the first. See, it doesn't make logical sense if you're you're a herdsman. If If animals are your business, that some of the first animals born, that you slaughter those and give those to the Lord. That doesn't make any sense. Because you need those to produce more. The idea would be, no, the better idea would be, let those have kids, let those have kids, let those have kids. And once the flock has grown, then give to the Lord. No, then you're giving to the Lord out of your excess. This has to do with the first fruits. The greater honor is shown when you give of the firstborn. And so that's why um, Abel's sacrifice was received. And so when you go back to this illustration, when it says, you know, honor the Lord with the first fruits of your produce, you know, for us, Michelle and I, the way we've processed that is over the years, we've decided just like when we receive money, regardless of whether it's the paycheck or whatever, when we receive money, we take from the top of that and we give that to the Lord and uh, a a portion that we've designated. So it's not give to get, but when I do give, I know I get. And I I think this, I think that as a, now as a parent, I speak as a parent, I think generosity is contagious. Like I want my kids to learn that. I learned it from my parents. My parents were generous, not just to those in need, they were generous to their friends, they were generous to their family. Like they take people out uh, with them for lunch or something, my dad would just buy all the time. Um, it, it's not that they were in need. He just wanted to do it because he loved to bless people. And I re- that just got in me. I just love to, I love to buy stuff for people, you know? People, people like to hang out with me. I just don't have enough money to, to, to provide for everything. But, um, you know, I, just, I like to give as much as I can. And so I think there's something that we pick up on with that, but I think that's the Lord's heart. Look at verse 7. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. All right, so this goes back to the idea of like, I don't want it to be an exaction. I don't want it to be a tax. I want you to give cheerfully. I want you to give because you want to give. I would say this, just as me speaking to you, I, like, I encourage you to invest generously in the work of God. And when you do, you're going to get a return. I, I, really, I really believe that. Now, when I look at scripture here and he says, give with a cheerful heart, uh, give, give cheerfully, that's, a, that's all about the heart. It's about the reason you give. So let, let me give you an illustration that makes this easier to see. So my daughter, Callie, is engaged. All right, she got engaged this last year to a man named Sam, and they're going to be getting married in June. Not quite sure I'm ready for that, but it's coming. Um, so when he got engaged to my daughter, Sam saved, scrimped, uh, went without uh, a lot of, so that he could get enough money to buy a ring. And he bought my daughter the nicest ring that he could get, right? And he put that on her finger, and, and he knows he is a lucky man, right? Not just to be marrying my daughter, but to be marrying into this family. You know, that... <laughs> The fact, I mean, you want to talk about a privilege and an honor. That man, that's a blessed young man right there. Now, 
Now, if you went to, if you went to Sam and said, no, Sam, I got, is it worth it? I mean, you saved all this money, and you had to go without some meals, uh, maybe, or uh, you had to make some changes in lifestyle so that you could put aside this money, so you could buy the, like, is it worth it? Are you going to get a return on your investment? Now, I think Sam would be like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not how I'm thinking about this at all. Like, here's what I, I love Gally. I, I want to get this ring for her because I love her. This is a sign of my affection for her. Like, am I going to get something out of it? I mean, you know, like, I get to marry her. That's going to be awesome. But, like, I'm not doing it for that. I'm doing it because I love her. I said, that's the idea of giving. When we give to the Lord, it's like, are, are you sure you should be giving that to the Lord? Like, are you going to get anything out of that? Like, whoa, 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 I'm, I'm not thinking about it that way. Like, if I give, God's going to give me something. Like, I'm not thinking about that. I love God. Jesus Christ gave his life for me. This is the least I could do. This is a sign of my affection for the Father. So this idea is, it's not a one-for-one. One. We're not worried about that. Like, when we give to the Lord, it does cost us. But the cost is a demonstration of love. And ironically, we're richer for the sacrifice. That's the weird economy here. That's the, the bizarre thing. So when I give, it costs me. The cost is a demonstration of my love. And ironically, I'm richer for the sacrifice. It's this weird thing that goes on. Uh, look at verses 8 and 9. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely, he is given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now that last part in verse 9, he is distributed freely, he's given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. That's not a reference to God. That's a reference to the person who gives. And the idea is that as we are generous, God counts that as righteousness towards us, and that goes on forever. And so there's this weird, going back to this weird economy of God, he's literally linking our financial giving with God's generosity in our lives. Now, it's not a one-to-one, but here's what he's saying. It's like, when you give richly, it shows you trust that God's going to give to you in return. And now he ties it. It's much bigger than just money and stuff. This goes on to how we live and the the repercussions of that and how we affect lives and souls and God's plan for eternity. Uh, But he does link it to this. And so when he's calling us to this, he's, he's, I guess he's saying this, that, that your giving demonstrates you trust God. When you give, it, it demonstrates that you trust God. Look at verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So this idea that, that, that God provides for me in everything. Now, one of the reasons I said earlier we struggle to give our resources away is because we work so hard for it, right? <laughs> like, this stuff doesn't come easy, and it goes really quick. You can work for months and months and months and spend it all in one thing, right? Like, we, that's how money works, and so we're like, ah, oh, you know. Well, okay, so think about this, though. Is it really yours? I, I mean, if, if God created you, right, and he's given you gifts, talents, skills, abilities, and you, you've had to put them to work, right? You had to get a job. You've had to do what it takes. You've had to be creative. You've used your ingenuity, and you've, you've been able to amass something. Like, is that yours, or is it the one who created you and gifted you and put you in those positions? Which means it goes from me being an owner of the stuff to me being a steward, and God is the owner. I think that's the mentality we've got to get back to, is this idea that the stuff I have is, is something God has entrusted to me. So that when I give to God's kingdom, when I give to God's uh, stuff, and when I invest in the kingdom of God, I'm really just giving him back a portion of what's already his. And he, he lets me keep the rest of it so that I can do stuff that, that I want to do, but it's, it's his stuff. It's not my stuff. It's a change in mentality. 
So uh, if I'm, I, was, I was talking to my kids, and I hope I've coached my kids this way, I want my kids to live, and I, if I could tell you this, I want you to live in this way, I want you to live with an open hand. That open hand lets God put things in there and lets him take them. He puts things in there, and some things you give away. But when you live closed-fisted, you're trying to hold on to something that was never really yours to begin with, and it's awful difficult for God to put anything in there. I want us to live with an open hand. That's, that's what I think God would call us to. When we invest in kingdom work, God is glorified, and it's credited to us as righteousness. Look at verse uh, 11 through 14. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of the service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Now, so this is interesting. You need to know something about the early church. So in the early church, when Jesus, uh, he's already dead, he's already been uh, crucified, he's already been resurrected, he's gone. The early church, the, the Jews began to respond uh, in a particular way, and then the Gentiles began to respond. But when the Gentiles began to respond, it was in mass, the Jews had a much smaller turning. But the Jewish Christians struggled in their view of the non-Jewish Christians. The, the Jewish Christians felt more special. Like, like we come from the line of the people of God. And now we recognize his Messiah is Jesus. And so we are really privileged. And these Gentile people that are just now starting to, to love the Lord, they've, they've come from a pagan background. They're not as good as us. Like that was a problem in the early church. There was a lot of discrimination. The, the Jewish Christians felt superior to the non-Jewish Christians. And so I think it's really interesting that the Jewish Christians suffered persecution and famine. And so God rallies the Gentile Christians through Paul to give to them. You want to talk about humiliating. Here you've been talking down to this group of people, and now you're desperately in need of them to help you survive. And, and so Paul sees this. He says, guys, God's doing something amazing here. Like, like he knows the background. They're struggling. But, but he knows, like, if you guys will help provide for them, that, that's going to be them then praising God for somebody formerly they'd look down on. And so now, not only will they be praising the Lord, they're going to be praying for you and grateful for what you have done. And you guys, as you provide for them, you're going to praise God because he's given you uh, a, a, an opportunity to have an abundance of generosity to show towards them. So in the end, you praise God for what you have and for being able to provide. They praise God for what they've received and for you who gave it to them. So God gets the praise in the whole equation. He's like, that's, that's a beautiful thing. And so what Paul is hoping is, is that as they are generous in the way they live, it's going to bring an incredible unity in the church. That's the mark of God, that we give, and yet we experience no loss. In fact, we experience a gain, and the church is better off for it. And then he closes with this, verse 15. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. And so he's trying to rally them to give, to be generous. He says, okay, you know what? We need to pause and just acknowledge that, that God has given us the main gift, right? Jesus Christ, Son of God. You know, the, the fact that we have, and really in that, in that perspective then, what is my giving compared to the sacrifice of Christ? I mean, seriously, how much could I ever give that would equal the sacrifice of Jesus for me? Like, I could never outgive that. If I, even if I gave my own life, it would never be equivalent to what Jesus has done for me. And, and so Paul is really saying, listen, the reason we can be so generous is because God has shown us what it means to be generous through the sacrifice of his own son. 
So, you know, as I process this, and we're looking at how he's done this and he's trying to stir them to give, one of the things I always think about is how can I apply this to my life today? And so Michelle, I'm just going to use my wife and I as an example. I don't think she's here yet, so I can talk freely. Um, <laughs> I was getting in trouble third service. But anyway, so one of the things we've talked about is our generous living. So how do we live in a generous way? So Jeff and Michelle, when we started out, we were church planters. I don't know if you know anything about church planting. Uh, it is not a financially lucrative business. Um, and so we we're going to start Sand Hills Community Church all these years ago. We were dirt poor. I and mean, we didn't have anything. Uh, I had an old beat-up car um, that I'd actually gotten from my sister. It was her old college car. Uh, we lived in a tiny, tiny house. It was like 1,100 square feet. Uh, although somebody may be, hey, my house is smaller than that. So sorry, no offense. But um, we didn't own the house. We were, we were paying for it um, to somebody else. It was their house. And, uh, and so we, we were just struggling. Like, literally, people would give us grocery cards, and that's how we ate in the early days of Sand Hills. It was, just, it was a struggle. And we had to make a decision early on. We don't have a lot of money. Should we be giving to the Lord? Yeah, when the Lord wants us to take care of our own bills first, and actually, we've got a lot more bills right now than we have money. And so we, actually, we really wrestled with that. We knew we needed to give. We just weren't sure how to do it. And we wrestled with this back and forth, and finally, we decided, wait, we've got to learn how to honor the Lord when we have very little so that when we have more, he knows he can trust us, right? So that's a lesson we had to learn with little. And so we just decided, first fruits, when we get paychecks, the first amount. And for us, um, so I don't know how much I should say here. This is a longer conversation. So I was challenged years ago to give the first tenth of all your resources to the Lord. Now, I will be honest with you. I think the call is to generous giving. I don't think the Lord holds us to um, the as we've been taught a lot of times, the tithe, uh, the tenth. Um, but we used that as a baseline for us because we felt like that was a good baseline of generosity for the Philpots. And so we said, first tenth, uh, we're going to give. And what we decided to do was the first tenth we're going to give to the church. Uh, and this is before Sandhills, when we're going to other churches. We're like, first tenth goes to the church because that's where all of our main ministry takes place. We minister there, they minister to us. And when you invest in the local church, you get everything. Uh, because the local church is normally involved in missions, and they're normally involved in evangelism in your area and, and helping people who are in need. They do all these things. And so we thought, you know, our first tenth is going to go to that. And then over and above, we'll go to missionaries, because we want to sponsor missionaries as well. And over the years, we've sponsored a number of missionaries. Uh, so we partner with some missionaries. And then, you know, just like Sandhills, other churches we went to, they would be doing campaigns from time to time. We're like, we want to give to that too. But we gave that, again, over and above what we'd already designated to the Lord. And I will tell you this, over the years, the Philpots have not missed any meals. We've always had a roof over our head. We have a car. Like, we're okay. Um, what it comes back to, though, is stewardship. Because we realize somewhere along the way, you can be as generous as you want, but if you don't live on a budget, you're going to be in trouble really quick. And so we budgeted all, how, all the income, all the expenses, set it all up, even giving to the Lord, put it all in there. When you live on a budget, you can, you can manage your stuff. You can be a good steward of what God's entrusted to you. And so with us, then, that involved making a plan. And so we made a plan of how we'd handle our money, uh, what we do with our percentage giving, how we go over and above, uh, all that kind of stuff. But everybody's got to have a plan. You don't happen into a plan. You don't accidentally have a plan. You have to make a plan. And so if you're sitting there going, well, I don't know how to do that. We just had a testimony earlier. Like Tom and Yasmin Scott will help you develop a plan. Absolutely. We'll help you do it for free. Uh, or small cost, anyway. That's another story. Um, and then, so we've decided something else um, is in the midst of this, as I look at myself, um, I, I think I, there's, there's an investment of resources, yes, but there's also an investment of time. Like, like God has given me not just money, but he has called me to invest my time as well. So I want to invest my time and my resources. That is, I will give stuff, but I also want to make sure that I'm, I'm serving, I'm volunteering. Now, over the years, I've talked to some people who will say, well, that's how I give to the Lord. I, I don't give money, but I give my time. All right, um, 
if that's how you're living, I think you've misread the scripture, right? Um, because uh, God's church doesn't get funded off of your volunteer hours, which is your, your staff does not pay their bills because you served at the church, right? Like we, somewhere along, the, there's gotta be a transaction along the way. And, the, and when you look at giving in the scripture, it's almost always financial. Like there's some giving of that because that's what buys the resources that keep, for us keeps lights on, that feeds your staff, that kind of thing. So I would say this, that, that if you've been living like, well, I just, I just give my time. Uh, that's not sufficient. I, I would say that God holds you to more than that. I'm not giving you an amount. I'm just saying something uh, needs to be uh, invested in that. So I would challenge you to do that. But, but here's really... Here's really where I would take it back to. Here's the question I think we all need to ask ourselves. And if you can answer this question before you and the Lord, that, that, that'll solve it. Am I living generously in the kingdom of God? This is a question we need to ask the Lord. Lord, am I living generously towards your kingdom? And if you feel like the Lord would be like, all right, absolutely, I see it. That's between you and God. It's not something I hold you accountable to, your friends hold you accountable to. It's just something between you and God. And if you feel comfortable with your response, amen. And I, can I say this? There's a lot of people in here that can say, amen, yes, I'm, I'm doing that. I, this is not a, I mean, I feel there's like a ton of people here already doing that. I just want to encourage you to, to do that. And if you're not, make a plan. Make a plan to get on board. I, I love this phrase I heard from, uh, it's a quote from Martin Luther years ago. He said this, I have had many things in my hands that I lost. The things that I placed in the hands of God, I still possess. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, this whole idea of uh, money and resources, I mean, it's a big deal. And who of us doesn't want more money and more stuff? Uh, and Lord, I, we know we will never be satisfied. You could give us 1,000, we'd want 10. You give us 10, we'd want 100. You give us 100, we'd want a million. Um, uh, we, we get a car, we want a better car. There's always, there's always a nicer thing. There's no end to that. But we only get one lifetime to invest in your kingdom. Not only do you hold us accountable, but you see what it is. When we invest in your kingdom, it's an offering of praise. It's a sign of worship. It's an antidote to materialism. It's a privilege to invest in eternity and to see an eternal reward. To be counted as righteous because of our generous living. Lord, I know it's hard and we all have to take this journey individually. We would just pray this, Father, as we look to your generosity demonstrated to us in a multitude of ways, but in the pinnacle of ways, through the giving of your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray that for us, Father, we would be good stewards returning to you a portion of what you've entrusted to us to demonstrate our love in your holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Sandhills Community Church. Feel free to share this with others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information, please visit our website at www.sandhillschurch.org.